0: Welcome to This Week in Surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This Week in Surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With This Week in Surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This Week in Surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery. An updated systematic review and meta-analysis of the impact of graduated compression stockings in addition to pharmacological thromboprophylaxis for prevention of venous thromboembolism in surgical inpatients. Objective. To compare the rate of venous thromboembolism (VTE) in surgical inpatients with pharmacological thromboprophylaxis and additional graduated compression stockings (GCSs) versus pharmacological thromboprophylaxis alone. Background. Surgical inpatients have elevated VTE risk. Recent studies cast doubt on whether GCS confers additional protection against VTE compared with pharmacological thromboprophylaxis alone. Methods. The review followed preferred reporting items for systematic reviews and meta-analyzes guidelines using a registered protocol, CRD42017062655. The MEDLINE and IMBASE databases were searched up to November 2022. Randomized trials reporting VTE rate after surgical procedures, utilizing pharmacological thromboprophylaxis, with or without GCS, were included. The rates of deep venous thrombosis, DVT, pulmonary embolism, and VTE-related mortality were pooled through fixed and random effects. Results In a head-to-head meta-analysis, the risk of DVT for GCS and pharmacological thromboprophylaxis was 0.85, 95% C, 0.54 to 1.36, versus for pharmacological thromboprophylaxis alone, two studies, 70 events, 2,653 participants. The risk of DVT in pooled trial arms for GCS and pharmacological thromboprophylaxis was 0.54, 95% C, 0.23 1.25, versus pharmacological thromboprophylaxis alone, 33 trial arms, 1,228 events, 14,108 participants. The risk of pulmonary embolism for GCS and pharmacological prophylaxis versus pharmacological prophylaxis alone was 0.71, 95% C, 0.0 to 30.0, 27 trial arms, 32 events, 11,472 participants. There were no between-group differences in VTE-related mortality, 27 trial arms, 3 events, 12,982 participants. Conclusions Evidence from head-to-head meta-analysis and pool trial arms demonstrates no additional benefit for GCS in preventing VTE and VTE-related mortality. GCS confer a risk of skin complications and an economic burden. Current evidence does not support their use for surgical inpatients. Novel application of a dynamic, in-room survey platform to measure surgical team satisfaction. Objective. To elucidate the potential usage of continuous feedback regarding team satisfaction and correlations with operative performance and patient outcomes. Background. Continuous, actionable assessment of teamwork quality in the operating room or is challenging. This work introduces a novel, data-driven approach to prospectively and dynamically assess healthcare provider satisfaction with teamwork in the OR. Methods Satisfaction with teamwork quality for each case was assessed utilizing a validated prompt displayed on happy or not terminals placed in all ORs, with separate panels for circulators, scrub nurses, surgeons, and anesthesia providers. Responses were cross-referenced with OR log data, team familiarity indicators, efficiency parameters and patient safety indicator events through continuous, semi-automated data marts. The identified responses were analyzed through logistic regression modeling. Results Over a 24-week period, 4,123 responses from 2,107 cases were recorded. The overall response rate per case was 32.5%. Greater scrub nurse specialty experience was strongly associated with satisfaction, odds ratio, 2.15, 95% c, 1.53 to 3.03, p less than 0.001. Worse satisfaction was associated with longer than expected procedure time, odds ratio, 0.91, 95% c, 0.82 to 1.00, p equals 0.047, nighttime, 0.67, 95% c, 0.55 to 0.82, P less than 0.001 and add on cases 0.72, 95% C, 0.60 to 0.86, P less than 0.001. Higher material costs 22%, 95% C, 6 to 37, P equals 0.006, were associated with greater team satisfaction. Cases with superior teamwork ratings were associated with a 15% shorter length of hospital stay. 95% 95% C, 4 to 25, P equals 0.006. Conclusions This study demonstrates the feasibility of a dynamic survey platform to report actionable healthcare provider satisfaction metrics in real time. Team satisfaction is associated with modifiable team variables and some key operational outcomes. Leveraging qualitative measurements of teamwork as operational indicators may augment staff engagement and measures of performance. Living donor liver transplantation for hepatocellular carcinoma within and outside traditional selection criteria, a multicentric North American experience. Objective. To evaluate long-term oncologic outcomes of patients post-living donor liver transplantation, LDLT, within and outside standard transplantation selection criteria and the added value of the incorporation of the New York-California, NYCAA score. Background. LDLT offers an opportunity to decrease the liver transplantation waitlist, reduce waitlist mortality, and expand selection criteria for patients with hepatocellular carcinoma (HCC). Methods: Primary adult LDLT recipients between October 1999 and August 2019 were identified from a multi-center cohort of 12 North American centers. Post-transplantation and recurrence-free survival were evaluated using the Kaplan-Meier method. Results. 360 LDLTs were identified. Patients within Milan criteria, MC, at transplantation had a 1, 5, and 10-year post-transplantation survival of 90.9%, 78.5%, and 64.1% versus outside MC 90.4%, 68.6%, and 57.7%, P equals 0.20, respectively. For patients within the University of California San Francisco, UCSF, criteria, respective post-transplantation survival was 90.6%, 77.8%, and 65.0%, versus outside UCSF 92.1%, 63.8%, and 45.8%, p equals 0.08. 53, 83%, Patients classified as outside MCA at transplantation would have been classified as either low or acceptable risk with a NICA score. These patients had a 5-year overall survival of 72.2%. Similarly, 28-80%, patients classified as outside UCSF at transplantation would have been classified as a low or acceptable risk with a 5-year overall survival of 65.3%. Conclusions Long-term survival is excellent for patients with HCC undergoing LDLT within and outside selection criteria, exceeding the minimum recommended 5-year rate of 60% proposed by consensus guidelines. The NICA categorization offers insight into identifying a substantial proportion of patients with HCC outside the MC and the UCSF criteria who still achieve similar post-LDLT outcomes as patients within the criteria. Predicting long-term disease-free survival after resection of pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, a nationwide cohort study. Objective To develop a prediction model for long-term, greater than or equal to 5 years, disease-free survival, DFS, after the resection of pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, PDAC. Background. Despite high recurrence rates, tilde 10% of patients have long-term DFS after PAC resection. A model to predict long-term DFS may aid individualized prognostication and shared decision-making. Methods. This nationwide cohort study included all consecutive patients who underwent TAC resection in the Netherlands, 2014-2016. The best performing prognostic model was selected by Cox Proportional Hazard Analysis and a Kijk's information criterion, presented by Hazard Ratios, HRs, with 95% confidence intervals, Internal validation was performed, and discrimination and calibration indices were assessed. Results In all, 836 patients with a median follow-up of 67 months, interquartile range 51-79, to were analyzed. Long-term DFS was seen in 118 patients, 14%. Factors predictive of long-term DFS were low preoperative carbohydrate antigen 19-9, logarithmic, HR 1.21. 95% C1.10 to 1.32, no vascular resection, HR 1.33, 95% C1.12 to 1.58, T1 or T2 tumor stage, HR 1.52, 95% C1.14 to 2.04, and HR 1.17, 95% C0.98 to 1.39, respectively, well slash moderate tumor differentiation, HR 1.44. 95% C1.22 to 1.68, absence of perineural and lymphovascular invasion, HR 1.42, 95% C1.11 to 1.81, and HR 1.14, 95% C0.96 to 1.36, respectively, N0 or N1 nodal status, HR 1.92, 95% C1.54 to 2.40, and HR 1.33. 95% C1.11 to 1.60 respectively. R0 resection margin status, HR 1.25, 95% C1.07 to 1.46, no major complications, HR 1.14, 95% C0.97 to 1.35, and adjuvant chemotherapy, HR 1.74, 95% C1.47 to 2.06. Moderate performance, concordance index 0.68, with adequate calibration, slope 0.99, was achieved. Conclusions The developed prediction model, readily available at www.pancreascalculator.com, can be used to estimate the probability of long-term DFS after resection of pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma. Next article is from Journal of American Medical Association Surgery. Laser epilation as an adjunct to standard care in reducing pilonidal disease recurrence in adolescents and young adults a randomized clinical trial. Importance recurrence continues to be a significant challenge in the treatment and management of pilonidal disease. Objective to compare the effectiveness of laser epilation LA, as an adjunct to standard care versus standard care alone in preventing recurrence of pilonidal disease in adolescents and young adults. Design, setting, and participants this was a single institution, randomized clinical trial with one-year follow-up conducted from September 2017 to September 2022. Patients aged 11 to 21 years with pilonidal disease were recruited from a single tertiary children's hospital. Intervention law and standard care, improved hygiene and mechanical or chemical depilation, or standard care alone. Main outcomes and measures the primary outcome was the rate of recurrence of pilonidal disease at one year. Secondary outcomes assessed during the one-year follow-up included disability days, health-related quality of life, her call, health care satisfaction, disease-related attitudes, and perceived stigma, and rates of procedures, surgical excisions, and postoperative complications. Results a total of 302 participants, median, IQR, age, 17, 15-18, to years, 157 male, 56.1%, with pilonidal disease were enrolled, 151 participants were randomly assigned to each intervention group. One-year follow-up was available for 96 patients, 63.6%, in the LA group and 134, 88.7%, in the standard care group the proportion of patients who experienced a recurrence within one year was significantly lower in the treatment arm than in the standard care arm, minus 23.2%, 95% C, minus 33.2 to minus 13.1, P less than 0.001. Over one year, there were no differences between groups in either patient or caregiver disability days where patient or caregiver reported her call, healthcare satisfaction, or perceived stigma at any time point. The Le Group had significantly higher child attitude toward illness scores, Cattis, at 6 months, median, IQR, 3.8, 3.4 to 4.2, versus 3.6, 3.2 to 4.1, P equals 0.01. There were no differences between groups in disease-related health care utilization, disease-related procedures, or postoperative complications. Conclusions and relevance LA as an adjunct to standard care significantly reduced one-year recurrence rates of pilonidal disease compared with standard care alone. These results provide further evidence that LA is safe and well-tolerated in patients with pilonidal disease. LA should be considered a standard treatment modality for patients with pilonidal disease and should be available as an initial treatment option or adjunct treatment modality for all eligible patients. next article is from british journal of surgery laparoscopic ventral hernia repair early follow-up of a randomized controlled study of primary fascial closure before mesh placement background suturing of the hernia aperture in laparoscopic ventral hernia repair has increased during the past decade the primary aim of this is to restore the anatomy of the abdominal wall Closure of the aperture, however, may cause additional tension in the abdominal wall which could increase postoperative pain. The aim of this study was to investigate whether suturing of the hernia aperture affects postoperative pain and hernia site complications, including seroma, infection, pseudohernia, and mesh migration, three months after repair. Methods some 192 patients with a midline hernia between 2 and 8 cm in transverse diameter were included in a randomized controlled double blinded multicenter study. Patients were randomized to mesh repair with intervention or without control, suturing of the hernia aperture before mesh placement. Patients completed the ventral hernia pain questionnaire before and three months after surgery. Abdominal wall pain and hernia site complications were assessed three months after surgery. Results. 97 patients were randomized to the intervention group and 95 to the control group. Among all patients, median age and BMI was 56 years and 31 kg M2 respectively. Overall pain experience decreased by 3 months after operation, P less than 0.001. There was no difference between groups regarding hernia site complications or pain experienced during the past week, 13 versus 23 patients, P equals 0.111. Seroma and pseudohernia occurred in 13 and 11 patients in the intervention and control groups respectively, p equals 0.975 and p equals 0.977. Conclusion. Restoration of the abdominal wall anatomy by suturing the hernia aperture before mesh placement does not increase the risk of hernia site complication or pain three months after surgery. This implies that fascial suturing of the aperture can be justified if there are potential long-term benefits such as lower recurrence and or complication rates. Nationwide standardization of minimally invasive right hemicolectomy for colon cancer and development and validation of a video-based competency assessment tool, the right study background. Substantial variation exists when performing a minimally invasive right hemicolectomy, MIRH, due to disparities in training, expertise and differences in implementation of innovations. This study aimed to achieve national consensus on an optimal and standardized MER technique for colon cancer, and to develop and validate a video-based competency assessment tool, CAT, for MER. Method. Statements covering all elements of MER were formulated. Subsequently, the Delphi technique was used to reach consensus on a standardized MER among 76 colorectal surgeons from 43 different centers. A CAT was developed based on the Delphi results. Nine surgeons assessed the same 12 unedited full length videos using the CAT, allowing evaluation of the intraclass correlation coefficient. ICC. Results After three Delphi rounds, consensus, greater than or equal to 80% agreement, was achieved on 23 of the 24 statements. Consensus statements included the use of low intraabdominal pressure, detailed anatomical outline how to perform complete mesocolic excision with central vascular ligation, the creation of an intracorporeal anastomosis, and specimen extraction through a fan and steel incision using a wound protector. The CAT included seven consecutive steps to measure competency of the MER and showed high consistency among surgeons with an overall ICC of 0.923. Conclusion Nationwide consensus on a standardized and optimized technique of MER was reached. The CAP developed showed excellent inter-rater reliability. These achievements are crucial steps to an ongoing nationwide quality improvement project, the right study. Pancreatic Surgery Outcomes Multicenter perspective snapshot study in 67 countries. Background Pancreatic surgery remains associated with high morbidity rates. Although postoperative mortality appears to have improved with specialization, the outcomes reported in the literature reflect the activity of highly specialized centers. The aim of this study was to evaluate the outcomes following pancreatic surgery worldwide. Methods This was an international perspective, multicenter cross-sectional snapshot study of consecutive patients undergoing pancreatic operations worldwide in a three-month interval in 2021. The primary outcome was postoperative mortality within 90 days of surgery. Multivariable logistic regression was used to explore relationships with human development index, HDI and other parameters. Results A total of 4,223 patients from 67 countries were analyzed. A complication of any severity was detected in 68.7% of patients, 2,901 of 4,223. Major complication rates, Clavin Dindo grade at least FAIA, were 24, 18, and 27%, and mortality rates were 10, 5, and 5% in low to middle, high, and very high HDI countries respectively. The 90-day postoperative mortality rate was 5.4%, 229 to 4,223, overall, but was significantly higher in the low-to-middle HDI group, adjusted or 2.88, 95% CI 1.80 to 4.48. The overall failure-to-rescue rate was 21%, however, it was 41% in low-to-middle compared with 19% in very high HDI countries. Conclusion Excess mortality in low to middle HDI countries could be attributable to failure to rescue of patients from severe complications. The authors call for a collaborative response from international and regional associations of pancreatic surgeons to address management related to death from postoperative complications to tackle the global disparities in the outcomes of pancreatic surgery. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery: Prevalence of Type 2 Endoleak After Elective Endovascular Aneurysm Repair with Polytetrafluoroethylene or Polyester-Based Endografts. Objective: Type 2 Endoleak is the most frequent complication after endovascular abdominal aneurysm repair. Polytetrafluoroethylene and polyester TE, are the two most commonly used graft materials in endovascular aneurysm repair (EVAR) devices. Biological properties of the material might influence the appearance and persistence of type 2 endoleak (T2L). Therefore, the aim of this study was to evaluate potential differences in the prevalence of T2L after EVAR between polytetrafluoroethylene (PTFE) and PE endografts in patients electively treated for an infrarenal abdominal aortic aneurysm. Methods. A single-center retrospective Observational study was conducted between January 2011 and January 2022. Preoperative, procedural, and follow-up data were derived from electronic health records. Imaging included computed tomography scans and or duplex ultrasound examination. The primary endpoint was the prevalence of T2L diagnosed within 1 year after EVAR. Secondary endpoints included the prevalence of T2L throughout follow-up, early (less than or equal to 30 days) and late greater than 30 days, T2L, the rate of T2L disappearance during the follow-up period, the prevalence of type 1 and 3 endoleak and T2L-related related reinterventions. Results Follow-up was available for 394 patients, 245 in the PE and 149 in the PTFE group. The prevalence of T2L diagnosed within one year after endovascular repair was 11.8% in the PE group and 21.5% in the PTFE group, P equals 0.010. There was no significant difference in early, less than or equal to 30 days, and late, greater than 30 days, T2L between groups, P equals 0.270 and P equals 0.311 there was no difference in the freedom from endoleak type 2 reinterventions between groups p equals 0.877 conclusions the prevalence of t2l after elective evar is significantly higher with the use of ptfe based endographs compared with pe based endographs. this difference is mostly based on t2l diagnosed after 30 days of follow up <coughs> Symptomatic carotid webs require aggressive intervention. Objective. Carotid web, Ca web is a rare form of fibromuscular dysplasia that can produce embolic stroke. Misdiagnosis of symptomatic Ca web as cryptogenic stroke or embolic stroke of unknown source is common and can lead to recurrent catastrophic neurologic events. Reports of Ca web in the literature are scarce and their natural history is poorly understood. Appropriate management remains controversial. Results 52 patients with symptomatic CAW web were identified during a six year period, 2016 to 2022. Average age was 49 years, range 29 to 73 years, 35 of 52, 67%, were African American, and 18 of 52, 35%, were African American women under age 50. Patients initially presented with stroke, 47-52, 90%, or transient ischemic attack, 5-52, 10%. Stenosis was less than 50% in 49 of 52 patients, 94%, based on NASA criteria, and 0 of 52, 0%, webs were identified with carotid duplex. Definitive diagnosis was made by CTA examined in multiple planes or cerebral angiography examined in a lateral projection to adequately assess the postural lateral carotid bulb, where 52 of 52, 100%, of cawebs were seen. Early in our institutional experience, 10 of 52 patients, 19%, with symptomatic web were managed initially with dual antiplatelet and statin therapy or systemic anticoagulation all suffered ipsilateral recurrent stroke at an average interval of 43 months, range, 1 to 89 months, and 5 were left with permanent deficits. Definitive treatment included carotid endarterectomy in 27 of 50, 56%, or carotid stenting in 23 of 50, 46%. Two strokes were irrecoverable and intervention was deferred. Web-associated thrombus was observed in 20 of 50-40%, on angiography or grossly upon carotid exploration. Average interval from initial stroke to intervention was 39 days. After an average follow-up of 38 months, there was no reported post-intervention stroke or mortality. Conclusions To our knowledge, this is the largest single institution analysis of symptomatic web yet reported. Our series demonstrates that carotid duplex is inadequate for diagnosis, and that medical management is unacceptable for symptomatic caweb. Recurrent stroke occurred in all patients managed early in our experience with medical therapy alone. We have since adopted an aggressive interventional approach in cases of symptomatic caweb, with no postoperative stroke reported over an average follow-up of 38 months. In younger patients presenting with cryptogenic stroke, especially African-American women, Detailed review of lateral cerebral angiography or multiplanar, fine cut CTA images is required to accurately rule out or diagnose CAWEB and avoid recurrent neurologic events. Patients living farther from a tertiary care center are more likely to undergo peripheral arterial bypass for acute and chronic limb-threatening ischemia. Objective. The aim of this study was to assess the association between the proximity to the tertiary care hospital and the severity of peripheral arterial disease, PAD, at the time of lower extremity bypass, LEB, in a rural-urban mix region. Methods. Patients undergoing LEB from 2010 to 2020 at Penn State Milton S. Hershey Medical Center were reviewed and stratified into two study groups based on a median distance from hospital E, group I, greater than or equal to 34 miles and group 2, less than 34 miles. Patients' demographic features, preoperative data including comorbidities and medications were analyzed. A univariate analysis for the patient characteristics between the two study groups, Along with evaluation of postoperative outcomes, and a multivariate predictive modeling to study the pad stage as the indication of LEB was performed. A P value of less than 0.05 was set as a significant difference between the groups for all the analyses. Results. There were 175 patients, 49.9% in group I and 176 patients, 50.1%, in group 2 with a mean age of 65 plus or minus 11.92 years. Median, 64.61 years. No significant difference was observed in gender, p equals 0.530, age, p equals 0.906, and functional status, p equals 830, between study groups. It was observed that patients in group I were more likely to be overweight or obese, 71.3% versus 57%, P equals point zero zero seven, and had a prior history of myocardial infarction. versus 15.3%, P equals 0.036, in comparison to group 2. No postoperative outcomes were found to be statistically different between the study groups. The multivariate analyzes based on various confounders displayed that patients in group I had 56% higher likelihood of LEB for chronic limb-threatening ischemia, adjusted odds ratio, 1.56, 95% confidence interval, 0.92 to 2.62, P equals 0.042. Group I patients also had 5 times higher odds of LEB for acute limb ischemia, adjusted odds ratio, 5.07, 95% confidence interval, 1.42 to 18.13, P equals 0.012, as compared with those in the group 2. Conclusions Patients' proximity to a major tertiary hospital may have implications on the disease progression for patients with PAD and could also be related to inadequate vascular services in primary and secondary hospitals. Lack of preventive care and disease management in regions afar from a tertiary hospital could be other implicating factors and highlights the need for outreach programs, along with distribution of vascular specialists, to reduce geographical disparities and ensure equity in access to care. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Better Stoma Care using the Stoma app, does it help? A first randomized double blind clinical trial on the effect of mobile healthcare on quality of life in stoma patients. Background Receiving a stoma significantly impacts patients' quality of life. Coping with this new situation can be difficult, which may result in a variety of physical and psychosocial problems. It is essential to provide adequate guidance to help patients cope with their stoma, as this positively influences self-efficacy in return. Higher self-efficacy reduces psychosocial problems increasing patients' quality of life. This study investigates whether a new mobile application, the stoma app, improves quality of life. And if personalized guidance, time support and peer contact offered as an in-app surplus makes a difference. Methods A double-blind Randomized controlled trial was conducted between March 2021 and April 2023. Patients aged more than 18 years undergoing ileostomy or colostomy surgery, in possession of a compatible smartphone were included. The intervention group received the full version of the app containing personalized and time guidance, peer support, and generic, non-personalized, stoma-related information. The control group received a restricted version with only generic information. Primary outcome was stoma quality of life. Secondary outcomes included psychological adaption, complications, readmittance, reoperations, and length of hospital stay. Results The intervention version of the app was used by 96 patients and the control version by 112 patients. After correction for confounding, the intervention group reported a significant 3.1-point improvement in stoma-related quality of life one month postoperatively p equals 0.038. On secondary outcomes, no significant improvements could be retrieved of the intervention group. Conclusion The Stoma app improves the quality of life of stoma patients. Peer support and personalized guidance are of significant importance in building self-efficacy. It is to be recommended to implement Stoma app, freely available software qualifying as a medical device, in standard stoma care pathways for the benefits of both patients and healthcare providers. <music> Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Effective Preoperative Home-Based Exercise Training on Quality of Life After Lung Cancer Surgery, a multi-center randomized controlled trial. Background Preoperative exercise training is recommended for improvement of clinical outcomes after lung cancer, LC, surgery. However, its effectiveness in preventing postoperative decline in quality of life, call, remains unknown. This study investigated the effect of preoperative home-based exercise training, PHET, on call after LC surgery. Methods Patients awaiting LC resection were randomized to FAT or a control group, CG. The FET program combined aerobic and resistance exercise, with weekly telephone supervision. Primary outcome was call assessed with the European Organization for Research and Treatment of Cancer, EORC, Quality of Life Questionnaire C30, QLQC30, at baseline, before surgery, and one month after surgery. The secondary outcomes were hospital length of stay and physical performance. The main analysis included a factorial repeated measures analysis of variance. Additionally, the proportion of patients experiencing clinical deterioration from baseline to post-surgery was assessed. Results The study included 41 patients, 68.1 plus or minus 9.3 years, 68.3% male, in the intention to treat analysis, 20 FET patients, 21 CG patients. A significant group times time interaction was observed for global call, P equals 0.004. Between group differences in global call were statistically and clinically significant before surgery, mean difference, MD, 13.5 points, 95% confidence interval, C, 2.4 to 24.6, P equals 0.019, and after surgery, MD, 12.4 points, 95% C, 1.3 to 23.4, P equals 0.029, favoring FET. Clinical deterioration of global call was reported by 71.4% of the CG patients compared with 30% of the FET patients, P equals 0.003. Between group differences in favor of FET were found in pain and appetite loss as well as in physical, emotional and role functions after surgery, P less than 0.05. Compared with CG, FET was superior in improving preoperative 5 times sit to stand at most operative exercise capacity p less than 0.05. No between group differences and other secondary outcomes were observed. Conclusion. The study showed that FEC can effectively prevent the decline in call after LC surgery. (laughs) Next article is from Obesity Surgery. 1- 1- Anastomosis Gastric Bypass as Revisional Surgery Following Sleeve Gastrectomy, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. Background Although sleeve gastrectomy, SG, is the most performed metabolic and bariatric surgery, (MBS) worldwide, some patients require conversional procedures due to weight recurrence or late complications. Recently, 1- Anastomosis Gastric Bypass, OAGB, Gained popularity is a viable option to address those problems. The aim of this meta analysis is to assess the safety and efficacy of conversional OGB after primary SG in the management of patients with obesity. Methods Cochrane, Embase, PubMed, Scopus, and Web of Science were searched for articles from their inception to February 2023 by two independent reviewers using the preferred reporting items for systematic reviews and meta analysis, Prisma, system. The review was registered prospectively with Prospero, CRD 42023403528. Results From 1,117 studies screened, 20 studies met the eligibility criteria, with a total of 1,057 patients with obesity undergoing conversional OGB after primary SG. The mean age ranged from 28.2 to 49.5 years, and 744 patients, 75.2% were women. At one year after revisional OGB, the pooled mean percent excess weight loss, percent EWL, was 65.2%, 95% C, 56.9, 73.4, I2 equals 97%. The pooled mean percent EWL after conversional OGB was 71.1%, 95% C, 62.2, 80.0, I2 equals 90%, at 2 years and 71.6%, 95% C, 61.0, 82.2, I2 equals 50%, at 5 years. Additionally, resolution rates of diabetes and hypertension were 65.4%, 95% C, 0.522, 0.785, I2 equals 65%, and 58.9%, 95% C, 0.415, I2 equals 89%, respectively. Conclusions Our meta analysis demonstrated OGB is an effective conversional procedure after primary SG in terms of weight loss and obesity associated medical problems for selected patients. Despite the promising results, further randomized controlled studies with larger sample sizes and more extended follow up periods are necessary to determine if the OGB is the best conversional surgery after SG. Next article is from International Journal of Surgery. ICG-augmented hyperspectral imaging for visualization of intestinal perfusion compared to conventional ICG fluorescence imaging: an experimental study. Background. Small bowel malperfusion (SBM) can cause high morbidity and severe surgical consequences. However, there is no standardized objective measuring tool for the quantification of SBM. Indocyanine green (ICG) Imaging can be used for visualization, but lacks standardization and objectivity. Hyperspectral imaging, HSI, as a newly emerging technology in medicine might present advantages over conventional ICG fluorescence or in combination with it. Methods HSI baseline data from physiological small bowel, avascular small bowel and small bowel after intravenous application of ICG was recorded in a total number of 54 in vivo PIG models. Visualizations of a vascular small bowel after mesotomy were compared between HSI only, 1. ICG augmented HSI, ya yeah, HSI 2. Clinical evaluation through the eyes of the surgeon, 3. And conventional ICG imaging, 4. The primary research focus was the localization of resection borders as suggested by each of the four methods. Distances between these borders were measured and histological samples were obtained from the regions in between in order to quantify necrotic changes six hours after mesotomy for every region. Results. Stow 2 images, 1, were capable of visualizing areas of physiological perfusion and areas of clearly impaired perfusion. However, exact borders where physiological perfusion started to decrease could not be clearly identified. Instead, Ya yeah, hsi 2 suggested a sharp resection line where STO-2 values started to decrease. Clinical evaluation, 3, suggested a resection line 23 mm, plus or minus 7m, and conventional ICG imaging, 4, even suggested a resection line 53 mm, plus or minus 13m, closer towards the malperfused region. Histopathological evaluation of the region that was sufficiently perfused only according to conventional ICG, are 3 Already revealed a significant increase in pre-necrotic changes in 27% plus or minus 9% of surface area. Therefore, conventional ICG seems less sensitive than YaHSI with regards to detection of insufficient tissue perfusion. Conclusions: In this experimental animal study, YaHSI 2 was superior for the visualization of segmental SBM compared to conventional HSI imaging. 1. Clinical evaluation. 3 or conventional ICG imaging, Four, regarding histopathological safety. ICG application caused visual artifacts in the STO2 values of the HSI camera as values significantly increase. This is caused by optical properties of systemic ICG and does not resemble a true increase in oxygenation levels. However, this empirical finding can be used to visualize segmental SBM utilizing ICG as contrast agent in an approach for YA-HSI. Clinical applicability and relevance will have to be explored in clinical trials. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Optimizing Mass Casualty Triage, Using Discrete Event Simulation to Minimize Time to Resuscitation. Background Urban areas in the U.S. are increasingly focused on mass casualty incident, MCI response. We simulated pre-hospital triage scenarios and hypothesized that using hospital-based blood product inventories for on-scene triage decisions would minimize time to treatment. Study Design Discrete event simulations modeled MCI casualty injury and patient flow after a simulated blast event in Boston, Massachusetts. Casualties were divided into moderate, injury severity score 9 to 15, and severe, injury severity score greater than 15, based on injury patterns. Blood product inventories were collected from all hospitals, and equals 6. The primary endpoint was the proportion of casualties managed with 1 to 1 colon 1 balanced resuscitation in a target time frame, moderate, 3.5 U red blood cells in 6 hours, severe, 10 U red blood cells in 1 hour. Three triage scenarios were compared, including unimpeded casualty movement to proximate hospitals, nearest, equal distribution among hospitals, equal, and blood product inventory-based triage, supply guided. Results. Simulated MCIs generated a mean plus or minus SD of 302 plus or minus 7 casualties, including 57 plus or minus 2 moderate and 15 plus or minus 2 severe casualties nearest triage resulted in significantly fewer overall casualties treated in the target time 55% versus equal 86% versus supply guided 91% p less than 0.001 these differences were principally due to fewer moderate casualties treated but there was no difference among strategies for severe casualties conclusions in this simulation study comparing different triage strategies including one based on actual blood product inventories, nearest hospital triage was inferior to equal distribution or supply-guided strategy. Disaster response leaders in U.S. urban areas should consider modeling different MCI scenarios and casualty numbers to determine optimal triage strategies for their area given hospital numbers and blood product availability. Effective Oral Chondroitin Sulfate Supplementation on Acute Brain Injury in a Murine Necrotizing Enterocolitis Model Background Necrotizing Enterocolitis, NEC, is a devastating condition where inflammatory changes and necrosis in the gut results in activation of brain microglia and subsequent neurodevelopmental impairment. Chondroitin sulfate, CS, is a glycosaminoglycan in human breast milk that is absent in conventional formulas. We hypothesize that oral formula supplementation with CS during a murine model of experimental NEC would not only attenuate intestinal injury, but also brain injury. Study Design NEC was induced in mouse pups on postnatal days, PNDs, 5 to 8. Three conditions were studied, 1. Breastfed controls, 2. NEC and, 3. NEC plus enteral CS, formula plus 200 mg slash kg slash d of CS. Pups were euthanized on PND9 or reunited with dams by the evening of PND8. Intestinal segments were H&E stained, and immunohistochemistry was performed on brain tissue for EBA1 to assess for microglial morphology and cortical changes. Neurodevelopmental assays were performed on mice reunited with foster dams on PND9. Single-cell RNA sequencing analysis was performed on human intestinal epithelial cells exposed to 1, nothing, 2, hydrogen peroxide, H2O2, alone, or 3, H2O2 plus Cs to look at the differential gene expression between groups. Groups were compared with ANOVA or Kruskal-Wallis tests as appropriate with P0.05 less than 0.05 considered significant. Results. Compared with NEC- Mice treated with oral CS showed improved clinical outcomes, decreased intestinal injury, and attenuated microglial activation and deleterious cortical change. Mice with CS performed better on early neurodevelopmental assays when compared with NEC alone. Single-cell analysis of HIKE-6 cells demonstrated that CS treatment down regulated several inflammatory pathways including nuclear factor Kappa-B, Suggesting an explanation for the improved Th17 intestinal cytokine profile. Conclusions Oral CS supplementation improved both physiological, clinical, and developmental outcomes. These data suggest that CS is a safe compound for formula supplementation for the prevention of NEC. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Do hospital based emergency Medicaid programs benefit trauma centers? A mixed methods analysis. Introduction Hospital presumptive eligibility, HPE, is a temporary Medicaid insurance at hospitalization, which can offset patient costs of care, increase access to post discharge resources, and provide a path to sustain coverage through Medicaid. Less is known about the implications of HPE programs on trauma centers, TCs. We aim to describe the association with HPE and hospital Medicaid reimbursement and characterize incentives for HPE participation among hospitals and TCs. We hypothesize that there would be financial, operational, and mission-based incentives. Methods We performed a convergent mixed-methods study of HPE hospitals in California, including all verified TCs. We analyzed annual financial disclosure reports from California's Department of Health Care Access and Information, 2005-2021. Our primary outcome was Medicaid net revenue. We also conducted thematic analysis of semi-structured interviews with hospital stakeholders to understand incentives for HPE participation and equals 8. Results Among 367 California hospitals analyzed, 285 77.7%, 77.7%, participate in HPE, 7721 21%, of which are TCs. As of early 2015, 100% of TCs had elected to enroll in HPE. There is a significant positive association between HPE participation and net Medicaid revenue. The highest Medicaid revenues are in HPE Level I and Level II TCs. Controlling for changes associated with the Affordable Care Act, HPE enrollment is associated with increased net patient Medicaid revenue, B equals 6.74, P less than 0.001, and decreased uncompensated care costs, B equals minus 2.22, P less than 0.05. Stakeholder interviewees' explanatory incentives for HPE participation included reduction of hospital bad debt, improved patient satisfaction, and community benefit in access to care. Conclusion Hospital presumptive eligibility programs not only are a promising pathway for long-term insurance coverage for trauma patients but also play a role in TC viability. Future interventions will target streamlining the HPE Medicaid enrollment process to reduce resource burden on participating hospitals and ensure ongoing patient engagement in the program. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. Evaluation of coagulopathy in cirrhotic patients, a scoping review of the utility of viscoelastic testing. Background: Cirrhosis causes significant coagulopathy. Traditional coagulation tests may not accurately measure coagulopathy in well-compensated patients with cirrhosis. Viscoelastic tests are functional tests that may better assess coagulopathy in cirrhotic patients. Methods: we searched PubMed, ScienceDirect, Google Scholar, and Gray Literature using terms meaning viscoelastic testing in cirrhosis. After reviewing over 500 titles and abstracts, 40 full-text papers met inclusion criteria. Results. 22 papers found viscoelastic testing was a better indicator of baseline coagulation than traditional testing in cirrhosis. 19 additional papers evaluated the utility of PIRI procedural viscoelastic testing and found they led to a reduction in blood product administration without increasing risk of hemorrhage, thrombotic events, or other complications. Conclusions The usage of viscoelastic testing in patients with cirrhosis allows for better assessment of coagulopathy, resulting in improved outcomes. Educating physicians to optimize care of this high-risk group is necessary to further improve their treatment. Automatic one year follow up appointment creation and reminders can improve long term follow up after carotid revascularization. Background Long term follow up, LTFU, following carotid revascularization is important for post surgical care, stroke risk optimization, and post market surveillance of new technologies. Methods We instituted a quality improvement project to improve LTFU rates for carotid revascularizations, primary outcome by scheduling perioperative and one-year follow-up appointments at time of surgery discharge. A temporal trends analysis, Q1-2019 through Q1-2022, multivariable regression, and interrupted time series, ITS, were performed to compare pre-post-intervention LTFU rates. Results 269 consecutive patients were included, 151 pre-intervention, 118 post-intervention, mean 71 plus or minus 12 years old, 39% female, 77% white. The overall LTFU rate improved, 64.9% to 78.8%, p equals 0.013, after the intervention. After controlling for patient factors, procedures performed after the intervention were associated with increased odds of being seen for one-year follow-up, or 2.295% C, 1.2 to 4.0. Quarterly its analysis corroborated this relationship, P equals 0.01. Conclusions Time of surgery appointment creation and automated patient reminders can improve LTFU rates following carotid revascularizations. Racial disparities in complications following elective colon cancer resection, impact of laparoscopic versus robotic approaches. Background We sought to examine differences in outcomes for black and white patients undergoing robotic or laparoscopic colectomy to assess the potential impact of technological advancement. Methods We queried the ACS and SCIP database for elective robotic, RC, and laparoscopic, LC, Colectomy for cancer from 2012 to 2020. Outcomes included 30-day mortality and complications. We analyzed the association between outcomes, operative approach, and race using multivariable logistic regression. Results. We identified 64,460 patients, 80.9% laparoscopic and 19.1% robotic. RC patients were most frequently younger, male, and white, with fewer comorbidities, p less than 0.001. After adjustment, there was no difference in mortality by approach or race. Black patients who underwent LC had higher complications, or 1.10, 95% c 1.03 to 1.08, p equals 0.005, than their white LC counterparts and RC patients. Conclusions. Robotic colectomy was associated with lower rates of complications in minority patients. Further investigation is required to identify the causal pathway that leads to our finding. Thank you for listening to This Week in Surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.